0: <laughs> yeah, come on, let's give it up for God. Come on now. Hey Amen. I'm just curious, is there anybody here from the state of Michigan? Are you here? <laughs> Jay Z and the tribe. Anybody here from Arkansas? Are you here? Right down front, B. Shack. All right, let's see. Um, anybody here from Texas? <laughs> wow, the Texans arrived. Sooner State, we got anybody from Oklahoma? <laughs> All right, a little bit of Oklahoma. Good. Uh, well, we're so glad that you're here. At Colorado, you here? Amen. <clears throat> glad that you're here. We're excited to go after God for the next few days with all that we have. You guys did great in worship. Let's go ahead and open up uh, this message in prayer and we'll, uh, we'll move forward. Father, we love you. And God, we wanna be disciples, authentic, real, Christ-following, deeply rooted, firmly focused disciples following you with all that we have. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate your word to us. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us and strengthen us and enable us to be your disciples. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And then I, uh, in March, uh, went, and I was hiking uh, up in the mountains in Nepal, and we were taking the gospel to different home-to-home and different villages and we were going to visit a church, it was up in the mountains of Nepal, and so you couldn't kind of, you couldn't drive there, we had to hike, and so as we were hiking, we were passing people, and as we would pass people, as we went up the mountains, you got to imagine the Himalayans in Nepal, I mean, we're up really, really high, and we're, were passing out just these, these pieces of paper that tell the gospel, and they're little books, just, just little gospel messages. And as I'm as I'm handing them out, as I'm passing them to people, I can see just joy and delight as people receive them. And I was kind of just amazed at, how, at the response of many of these people. And I handed it to this one lady just like many others, and kept going up the mountain and hiking up the mountain. And then once we arrived, we arrived at this church. And when we arrived at the church, not church like this with lights and a big blue roof and an octagon and all this, but more like just people on a mountainside singing a cappella declaring their love to God. And it looks quite different than church does for us, but it's a group of Christ followers that are after God with all that they have. And, and the gospel is alive, and the gospel is real, and the gospel has changed their life. And when I say gospel, I mean, the story of what Jesus has done for them has radically transformed their lives. And as we came back down the mountain, probably three or four hours later, we're walking down the mountain, and as I walk past this lady that I'd handed one of the gospel messages to, look over and it's hours later and she's still there just reading. And you know, in America, if, if you're to hand someone the gospel message, they're a little bit offended and they're kind of a little bit like, well, what are you giving me? I'm not sure that I want it. And And there I was moved. My heart was just kind of touched by this woman who hours later, she's still there reading the gospel and seeing these people there, whose lives have been so touched by the gospel that there's freedom of expression and worship, and when they hang out together after church, they stay around for a long time, and Jesus is what they want to talk about. And I started to just kind of be moved a little bit about how powerful and vibrant and real and alive the gospel was for these people that you just given to them, and they want to read about it and they want to talk about it. it's on their lips, it's what they think about. It was just so alive. And you and I, we live in a culture. We live in a church world where it's very easy for us to, I think, kind of just get familiar with the gospel. We just kind of get used to it. I mean, after all, we've grown up. Many of you have grown up in church. If you turn on the television, sometimes you see preachers. You've got all of your days. You've got just all kinds of knowledge. But I wonder if we've got knowledge, but we lack power. I wonder if we've got knowledge, but we lack vibrancy and relationship. I wonder if we've heard the gospel many times, but to what degree is it alive in us today? To what degree is it fresh? Is it real? Sometimes I think that we see the gospel as kind of like not just Jesus. We see it as Jesus plus the good life or I want Jesus plus I want the good education or Jesus plus friends or Jesus plus... and And when we think even about what it means follow Jesus we think yeah of course Jesus but Jesus plus and all these other things and part of my delight that day was seeing people with Jesus was what they had and there was a contentment and there was a vibrancy and it was alive and it was real so tonight I want to look at the story of the gospel with just fresh eyes I want us to just begin to look at what the gospel is tonight first night And so we've got all kinds of things in store. But imagine if you and I tonight just look at, let's just remember what the story of Jesus is all about. Let's Let's just remember who Jesus is and remember what it means that Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty, that we might become rich. Let's take a moment and just remember what it means that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, what does it look like? Is it alive in us? Is it real? Is it, I, I, I was reading C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called the Screwtape Letters. And in this book, it's a, it's a story where there's dialogues. It's a, it's a fictional story, but it's, it's, the idea is, is, was, was demons talking to each other about how to get Christians to fail. And in it, he said this, he said, he said, if we can get them, To just live with the horror of the same old thing. Just, if you can get Christians just to get used to it, just get used to the same old thing, then we'll win. Because then they'll have knowledge, but no power. They'll have the knowledge of God, but they won't have any vibrancy or any strength. So C.S. Lewis was saying, if you want to get a Christian to be dull and dead, just get them used to the same old thing. Seeing the gospel is just, yeah, I've heard it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Impress me, preacher. Impress me, band. When it doesn't have anything to do with the band. It doesn't have anything to do with the preacher. It doesn't have anything to do with the lights. It doesn't have anything to do with those things. It has to do with the man. It has to do with Jesus. So tonight, my, my prayer for us tonight is that we'll just see it. We'll just look at the gospel that'll become new to us and fresh to us. My prayer is that tonight you'll see who Jesus is in such a fresh way it'll just start to come alive so tonight we want to look at the story of Barabbas Barabbas in the book of Matthew it says that he was a famous well known thief so Matthew when he's writing his gospel he says ah, this guy everybody knew him everybody knew about what he had done he was, he was famous he wasn't just this kind of you know random thief in jail. People knew what he had done. Both Mark and Luke talk about that he's a murderer. He killed people. Taken life. Destroyed life. John in his gospel, he talks about that he was actually the leader of an uprising, an insurrectionist against Rome. So Barabbas on trial, Maybe you're familiar with the story, but the story is this Pilate looks out to the crowd and he says, hey, based upon the festival, I will give you one prisoner to be set free. And it was just a way for Pilate to kind of try to win favor with the Jewish crowd. So there's an epic moment. Pilate stands, Jesus on one side and Barabbas on the other. And he looks at a crowd. Who do you want? Who do you want to go free? And you know the story. Instead of saying, we want the one who is perfect, heals, even raises the dead, brings new life. The one who heals. the One who helps blind eyes to be opened. I say, no, say give us Barabbas, yeah, yeah, give us Barabbas, give us the one who is a murderer, that's who we want free, that's who we want. So in this story, Jesus goes to the cross, a murderer, a thief, Someone who has violently been against Rome. For most of us, it's the most horrible thing we could imagine. I mean, killing, stealing, being famous for doing that. That's, that's pretty much as, as bad as we could imagine, bad as we could think. So imagine Barabbas sitting in his prison cell, only to have a roman guard yell at him on your feet let's go and of course maybe he thinks it's time it's time for him to go and be crucified and instead he hears a response no actually actually you're going to stand And there's going to be a moment where there's a possibility that you could go free and if i were if i were barabbas i would suddenly be in shock what the possibility of freedom no no no! I deserve death I'm on my way to the cross I'm a I'm a thief and a murderer you're telling me that there's there's a possibility that I might go free well tell me who 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 is this who's the other guy Pilate's gonna let one go free and it's either you or this other guy, but you don't stand a chance. This other guy, he's, he's done nothing wrong. This other guy, he sets people free. This other guy, he's actually raised the dead. This other guy, he's looked at guys that were blind and said, see, and they started to see. And he's prayed for people that were deaf and they started to hear. And he, he gives life. You're a taker of life. You don't have a chance. And then they stand in front of a crowd. You know the story. You've probably read it. You've probably heard it. But they stand before a crowd. And before this crowd, they're looking out. And one is going to go free. And one will be crucified. And one stands there, guilty, a murderer, deserving death. And one stands there, righteous, in perfection, giving his life away, loving, serving the very son of God. It's an epic story. I mean, it's a a Hollywood drama moment. You couldn't write anything bigger. Because actually the future comes out based upon what the crowd says. And so Pilate yells to the crowd, who do you want? Who's going to go free? According to the festival, we're going to allow one prisoner to go free. And they begin to yell, give us Barabbas. Barabbas. And the crowd begins to cry out, yeah, give us, give us the murderer. Don't, don't send Jesus the one who takes care of us and loves us and no, 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 no. Give us the one who's killed and stolen and led an uprising. Yeah, 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 give us Barabbas. And I don't know what it's like, but I can only imagine if I were Barabbas and I'm standing there and I start to hear these chants Barabbas, Barabbas. I look over and I wonder I wonder if Jesus looked at Barabbas I don't know I do know that when we read about Jesus with the two thieves on both sides when he's on the cross that he has conversation with the thief And it seems that in that moment he's looking at the thief and when the thief says to him, hey, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus responds to me, I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise. It seems like Jesus is filled with all kinds of love and compassion for the thief. Or in the moment of his highest measure of pain, Jesus on the cross looks at the very people that crucified him and he looks to his father and he prays for them and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so if that's consistent with the kind of heart that he possessed even while on trial standing there with Barabbas, my guess is that the same kind of love that existed for the thief and the same kind of love that existed for those that had crucified him existed in Jesus' heart for Barabbas. I think we would all know that he looked at Barabbas and he loved him. He looked at Barabbas and in his heart he looked at The murderer, the thief, the deserved death. And Jesus voluntarily has already chosen. I'm gonna go to the cross. And sometimes when you and I, when we think about what it means that Jesus went to the cross for us, it's almost ethereal, but I want you to see it tonight in a real practical term, like a real Barabbas who was really on his way there. And Jesus takes his place. Jesus says, I'll go. And if you can only imagine these chains, these chains that symbolize Barabbas' past, they come off. And these chains come off of Barabbas and Barabbas goes free. And so you and I, you and I, we've got all kinds of ideas that we think about when we sing, I am free to run, or I am free to dance, or was for freedom. And we sing these songs, but I want you to have imagery. What if tonight we looked at those ideas, those stories, and it wasn't just kind of a thing from kind of, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I'm singing about, but what if you picture the reality of you, me, our story is the same as Barabbas. I'm Barabbas you're Barabbas. That's our story. The story of Jesus going to the cross and dying for you and for me, that is our story. That's, that's the thing that we're building everything upon. And so Jesus, who is perfect, he comes to earth. He lives perfectly. He's flawless. He lives without sin. And you know, when we read Jesus, he voluntarily gives up his life. He prays to the Father. And in John 17, he says, I'll go. And he goes, he prays. He's in agony, but he prays and he knows. And he goes to the garden and he prays and then he says, Father, I'll go. And he voluntarily gives up his life to go to the cross so that you and I can have eternal life. You know the verse. You've heard the story. You've heard it. My question is for us, has it just kind of become the same old thing? Or is it alive in us? Or is it real? Or do we really realize what we get because of Jesus and what he did for us and the kind of life that we get now as a result and an eternal destiny that's forever changed because of Jesus? That's the question. The question for us is, do we see it? Is it alive in us? Do we feel it? Do we know it? Do we walk in it? And some of you, you hear that and you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Great, David. Thanks for telling me that story about Jesus. But here's the honest truth, David. You can say that I'm like Barabbas, but I'm, your, the response is often this. Hey, I'm not that bad. I've never murdered anyone. I haven't stolen anything other than media. I, I... <laughs> Other than songs I, I'm, I'm I'm basically good So So I really haven't done that much I was teaching recently Through the Sermon on the Mount And I was reading through it And reading Jesus In Matthew 5 When he says You've heard it said do not commit murder. But I tell you that anyone who is angry at his brother is guilty of murder. Ugh. Shall we revisit that? And Jesus goes on to talk about in that text about in danger of the fire of hell. <gasps> That's what he says. And then, and then he goes on and he says, hey, you've heard it said not to commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who lusts After a woman, not just adult, but lust is guilty. So don't look at me right now and go, "Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm good." Because that's that's in our culture. That's your emotions talking, but that's not the gospel. Romans three twenty three says, "For all, everybody say all, All. for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." Oh, that's you. For all, yeah, that's what Paul says. He looks at the church in Rome. He goes, for all, all, for all have sinned and fallen short. In other words, for you to stand in front of a perfect God, for you to enter into the presence of a perfect God, a holy God, you have to be made perfect. Good luck. How are you going to stand in front of a holy God on your own? So Romans 3, 23, Paul says, no, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes on three chapters later and he says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift, and that's Jesus, the gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We get a gift. This story that we just watched. This is the gift. This is the story. This is the story that we bend our whole lives around. This is the pivotal moment that changes everything. This is the thing that we we hear about it and we look about. We look at it and we go, "That is my story. That's the testimony of my life. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did for me. That's my story." The problem is is that emotionally we don't like that. Emotionally, we don't want to go that. We don't want to go all of sin. We want to go, no, I feel good. I'm not that bad. And that's what the culture wants you to believe. Oh, you're okay. You're all right. They don't want you to believe the gospel. They don't want you to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. They don't want you to be able to really understand the, the good gift in Jesus because if they can get you to do that, then you'll be trying to save yourself. And that's our temptation. He said, I'm not so bad at trying to save ourselves and to live based on emotions, but not the truth of the scripture and the truth of the word of God. It's all over our culture. I I get the privilege of being the assistant coach to an eight-year-old baseball team, my son Dawson. He turns nine tomorrow. He's a good baseball player. He's right down here on the front row. Dawson, he's right there. You want to stand real quick? That's my boy Dawson right there. There it is, Dawson. Wave, yeah, yeah. Come on, get the spotlight on that kid right there. There it is. There it is. That's my man right there. All right. No spotlight. Forget it. Sorry. Next year. All right. And one of the things I've noticed in our culture is this. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'm the first base coach, right? So head coach gets the pitch, right? First base coach or assistant coach stands to the side of the first base, right? And so I'm like, you know, watching this first base thing and, you know, and this this kid, these kids will hit it and whether they... Whether they're, it's a good hit or a bad hit, everybody goes, yeah, good hit, good hit, good hit. And then when they run, and they're, whether they're out or they're safe, everybody's like, you're awesome. Yeah, that's great, right? And the great thing is, is the encouragement. And I'm all for the encouragement. But the weird thing is, is that the coach, like last Saturday, this kid gets out. The kid, they, I mean, he is out, clearly out. And I'm like, yeah, he's out, you know, like justice, you know, and the kid was like, That's an amazing hit. That was incredible. You're amazing. Good hit. And I was like, good hit. He's out. That's not truth. Right? One day these eight-year-olds are going to have to figure out, that's a bad hit. Right? Okay, take that 8 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old. We've got all this stuff where we've got a culture that's saying, you're so great, you're so amazing, you're so wonderful, you're so incredible. And the truth is, apart from Jesus Christ, you're not that great. Welcome to the gospel, everybody. But that's our temptation. We want to go, oh, yeah, bolster myself up. Make myself wonderful. Make myself great. Somebody tell me you like me. Somebody tell me you love me. Please, I beg. I need as many Instagram likes as possible to feel loved. (laughs) Just somebody like me. And the truth is, is that human history will go down. Everything hinges upon your relationship with a man, the man Jesus Christ. And so when you lock in with, okay, I'm not that great. I'm, yeah, yeah, I I, I need, I need a savior. When that's, when you start to go, oh, no, I, uh, anybody who lusts is guilty. Anybody who's angry is guilty. Then you start to go, okay, I recognize that. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I need a gift. I need this man, Jesus. I need Jesus to save me and to change me. I'm I'm not okay. And of course, Jesus makes it clear in John 14. He says, there's one way. Me, it's a person. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me really, Jesus? Yeah. No one? No one. All have sinned? All. Do you mean all like A-L-L or like uh, mostly? No, no, all. All have sinned from the false way of God. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is a way to get to God. There is a way to spend eternity with him. There is a better way than your own, you being the God of your life. There's a better way. There's a better way to be a human. There's uh, a better way to walk in the righteousness of God. There's a better way. It's Jesus. So some of you go, okay. And your big response is, yeah, I'm I'm not that bad. You just needed to hear this. Yes, you are. And then there's some of you that have the opposite response. And you go, I'm too bad. I'm too messed up. I'm not sure that cross can save me. I'm not sure Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that if you look at my past and you look at what I've done, you look at who I've been, I'm just not sure. I just don't know. And you define your life by your past. I'll never forget when I was in high school, it was the end of my junior year. And, uh, I uh, was in student council, which meant that I had to be at all the dances uh, at my school. And so I'll I'll never forget that uh, after a football game, um, junior year, so fall of of my junior year, um, I I was on the way from the football game uh, to the dance, big high school. And and I had a problem. It's embarrassing to tell. I normally don't tell stories like this, but this is an incredible illustration, so I'm going to go with it. Um, I, I had to go to the bathroom really badly and uh, it was horrible, it was miserable, I felt terrible uh, and so I decided, I had this bright idea that I didn't want to have to go to the bathroom of that kind uh, at the school. It'd be too horrible and embarrassing and uh, you know how school bathrooms are at public high schools, awkward. And so uh, I decided my brilliant idea, I'll drive home and I'll, I'll, I'll go to the bathroom there. And I will uh, then go on to the school. And the dance was, you know, at the school. And so I go to my house and I walk in and my dad is uh, sitting there uh, working on uh, a sermon. So he's, my dad's a preacher. And so he was sitting over here and there was a bathroom right next to him. But I thought, that's awkward. I just, you know, I don't want to m- mess up the Shekinah glory uh, <laughs> as he studies the Bible <laughs> and I'm going from my football game to, to the dance. And um, so I decided that uh, I would run upstairs to my triplet sister's room. Uh, she had a bathroom just off of her room. And, uh, and so I decided I'd go there. And so I, I, I'm a triplet. I had two uh, triplet sisters, still do. And um, one's brunette, one's blonde. And uh, Deborah. The blonde one, she had reached status in high school. Now I hadn't, I was more of kind of the mullet munchkin brace face, ah! you know, kind of kid, but, um, but Deborah had reached elite status. Uh, she was cool. Uh, she hung out with the coolest girls in our class. I mean, she was down. I mean, she was, she was cool. And so, um, and so I, I didn't really think through all this as I was just feeling things and just I didn't have much judgment in the moment. I didn't think about the potential of what could happen. I couldn't foresee the future, and uh, so I went upstairs and i i i went to the bathroom, you know, kind of thing. And um, awkward to explain that to thousands of people, but uh, so I mean, and it's horrible. I mean, it's the It's probably, it's, I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was it was it was it was, it was Dumb and Dumber ish, you know, like sorry, I, I know, but it was bad and. Um, and and, I'm, and, I'm, and so I'm having this moment, and uh, and then I, I just fear grips me because suddenly I hear one of the most popular girls in our high school outside the door. She goes, "Ew, Deborah, your broom stinks." <laughs> And then I hear this other girl. Her name is Emily. The first one was Courtney. I mean, I remember this well. It's it's like wounds on my heart. I'm talking, these are the coolest girls in school. I mean, I'm talking like the girls that dated, you know, the big guys, like over five, seven guys. Like just, we're talking like, we're talking like the babes of the school. You know? And all of a sudden I I I hear all of their voices. Ashley. Debra is there with her friends and I, they've, they've decided to come to our house to get ready for the dance and there I am and I'm, I'm stuck. I mean, it's horrible. I'm isolated. It's, it, and I don't want to flush because I don't want them to know I'm there. So I lock the door and I turn off the light and I hide in the shower. It, it doesn't make sense. It's just what you You know, like, what do you do? And uh, I just, in my head, I thought, it'll, they'll all go away. The dance is going to start soon. All things work out for those who love God. Certainly, they'll just, they'll just leave. Instead, they stay. And I just start, oh, Deborah, I'm, I'm God, like, eh. Just all that. <laughs> High school. And it gets worse. Because my sister betrays me. She saw my car in the front. So she knocks on the door. Get out that you! What's a guy to do? So I do what any normal person would do. I walk over, I flush, turn the light on, wash my hands, open the door, and go, hello ladies. yep whoosh (laughs) bless you (laughs) you know kind of moment now here's what happened I was so massively embarrassed by that moment I could I got to the dance and whenever I saw any of them I just walked away I was like I can't I can't look to you face to face. You know what I'm saying? I just I don't I don't that, that memory is, is too pain, too painful, right? I went my entire senior year. Yeah. Like if I saw Emily or Courtney or one of them walking this way, I was just like you know, like, I am fleeing that past. I'm, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death that they have a memory of me. And so I started to live, a, you know, don't feel bad here for me. I'm just telling the truth. I start, when I saw them, I ran away. I'm like, I'm like my past is going to catch up. To, I do not want that. I, no, I know that they remember. And it's like this, it was like, oh, it's, it, was, it was rough. And I think for all of us, as we come to the good news of the gospel sometimes something in our past, some kind of memory sometimes makes us walk away from God. We go, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know that he can really forgive me. I mean, he's, he knows what I did when I was 15. He knows my, and I just, and that, that, that cringe, that, oh, ooh oh, yeah, surely there'll be rejection and that fear of rejection can be in us. We just kind of want to walk away. We just kind of want to get away from it and some of you, when you think about coming to the cross and saying yes to Jesus, you go, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that really Jesus can save me. I'm not sure that, I'm not sure because I've, I've come from so much. I've got such a bad past. I've been so messed up. And at the core, what you're saying is my confidence is in my performance rather than my position in Christ. What you're saying right there is you're saying, you know what, at the core, at the core, it's about me, it's not about Jesus. At the core, you're saying, I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure that Jesus, what he paid, who he is, I'm not sure if it's enough. And the memory of your past caused you to walk away from encountering Jesus and saying yes to the gospel. And deep down you're going, I'm not sure. But if you could only lock in with this truth, Your position as a believer, as saved, as one who follows Jesus, you are saved not based upon your performance, but based upon your position in Christ, based upon what Jesus has already done on the cross, died for you and rose again. And when you lock in with that, it changes everything. It changes the way that you live. The baseball game with my son Dawson. If Dawson were to get out, right? If Dawson were to get out, Do you think that this dad is going to walk over to my eight-year-old and be like, you pathetic slug of a baseball player? I cannot believe that. You are out of this family. After all, you come from a great line of athletes. (laughs) I mean, you know, like, I mean, can you, it it would be so far, right? No, it's the very opposite, right? The very, the very opposite. Of that, of, of where I would be, would be I would see my boy, and I would look at my boy, and I would go, "You're my son. It's not about it's not about first base or second base. I, I, I love you. I like not because of how hard you hit the ball, but because of who you are. Because you're my son. You're always accepted. You're a Perkins. You're my boy. I love you. I like. And and so we may want to work on hitting practice or or fielding or whatever. But it's not I did gain. Uh, acceptance from me it's out of the place of acceptance and he is my son that we just work on his game does that make sense and the temptation for us is to always believe yeah God's looking at us going you're lame you messed up again you're pathetic almost like an, like God's face is always just kind of like like what's, what's with you I can't believe you and the temptation is to go you know what I'm too bad. I just, I don't have what it takes. I don't don't know that the gospel really is enough for me. And yet, when you look at your position, if you've said yes to the finished work of Christ, you become a son or a daughter of the king and you take on, get this, this is what blows my mind. The very affection that the father has for the son is how he feels about you. And when you get that, it changes everything. When you start to see that, when you start to go, I mean, think about about the the heavenly father, how he sees his son. I love the story in Matthew three where he actually audibly declares at the baptism, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased. Audibly, out loud, interrupts human history. This is my boy. This is the one that I love. The perfect one, right? The perfect one, the flawless one. I mean, we're talking. We're talking Jesus, perfect fate, and the Father goes. I love him. I delight so much. So he, uh, he. Declare, I mean, he leans over the balcony of heaven, audibly to it for everyone to know. With him, I'm well pleased. I love him. I delight in him. He's my son. I like him. I enjoy him. He's my boy. He's the one that I love when you give your life to Jesus and you surrender your life to Jesus and you say I'm going to choose you the very way that the father accepts his son he accepts you Ah! can you get that? John 17 Jesus prays it he goes father show them I want them to know that that you love them the way you love me if Jesus prayed it there's going to be some people that actually experience it If Jesus prays that we would encounter the love of the Father the way that he did, it's available to you and me. And the, the position that Jesus had before the Father, you know what? You and I get to enter because of the cross, because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And we get the Father actually loving us like he loves his son. Oh, that's a game changer. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be flawless. You don't have to try to make it on your own. You don't have to try. Jesus comes and the same way, the same way that he went to the cross for Barabbas, he's gone to the cross for you. He's gone to the cross for every single one of you. It's an exchange that's not fair. It's an exchange that doesn't make sense because we bring our chains and he brings perfection. We bring our anger and our greed and our lust and our rage and our imperfection and our insecurity. And he brings all the opposite of those things. He brings love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, delight, joy. And he sets us free. He goes, tell you what I'll do. You give me your junk. You give me your sin and I'll give you this. And there's a great exchange. I'll give you perfection. I'll give you holiness. I'll give you all these things and you can have freedom. You give me your chains. You give me your bondage and I'll give you freedom. And we go, no, 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 it's not fair. No, 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 it can't be true. And that's what the enemy, he wants you to go, no, 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 it can't be true. It's too good to be, no way. So that you live mostly cognitively in your mind about how you want to see religion rather than believing the story that's true, rather than believing the truth of the gospel. And that's what the enemy always does. He comes to you and he goes, no, 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 no. no. You're too bad or you're not bad enough or whatever it is. Any excuse to get you just to accept you are imperfect. You have not, you have not measured up. Jesus is perfect. And Jesus went to the cross for you that you could have eternal life so that we could walk with him and we can know him. It's, it's not fair. It's a, but this isn't a fairness thing. This isn't a, it's not a question of what's fair. Right? My boy, Justice, he's uh, just turned three. And one of the things I like to do with my kids is I like to give them ice cream at night. All right, it's just one of the things I do. My wife doesn't really like that because she's against hydrogen and oils and everything with sugar. But I love ice cream. And so... <laughs> And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to give them ice cream. She likes to give them ice cream too as long as it's fat-free frozen yogurt. Anyway, but, and, (laughs) and uh, that's why I love to give them ice cream. It's just one of the things I love to do. And so the other day we're all sitting there and, my boy, and I'm, I'm getting them one at a time. It wasn't like I had all of them done. I just was scooping up a bowl and taking it, right? And I scooped up a bowl and I took it to Justice first and he, you know, was eating it. And then I gave it to each one of the other kids. And then finally I came with my bowl of ice cream. I was sitting there with my four kids and uh, Justice has only got two bites left. And he goes, daddy, can we trade? <laughs> I got three scoops ready to go. He's got two bites left. And I go, yeah, we can trade and I trade him and one of my other kids goes hey that's not fair (laughs) and I didn't give this sermon but you know what I could have said of course it's not fair this isn't about fairness this is about love (laughs) right I've got three cartons of ice cream I've got infinite ice cream We we can't eat all the ice cream tonight I've got more ice cream than I know what to do with But you know what? My my three-year-old wants ice cream. I I want him to have, he can have my ice cream. I got more ice cream than I know what to do with. There's there's an undinning abyss of ice cream in our freezer. (laughs) You can have as much much ice cream as you want. This isn't about fair. This is about love. And you know what? The father who died for you, he's got infinite love. He looks at you and he says, tell you what, I'll make a great exchange. I'll take your ashes And I'll give you beauty. I'll take your heap of sin and all of your rage and fear, all of the lust that you possess and all of your secret sin and I'll die on a cross for you and I'll create a way for you to be able to be close to me forever, to live with me forever and ever. And here's what you give me. You give me all that, all you bring, you bring your ashes and I'll give you beauty. It's not fair. It's beautiful. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not fair at all. But it's love. And it's the verse that you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, that whoever, that's a big word, that whoever, just like all, right? For all have sinned, all, that's everybody. Whoever, that's anybody. For whoever, whoever calls on him. God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son, this one, Jesus. That whoever would believe in him could have eternal life with him forever and ever. That's our story. That's your story. That's a story. And you get to make that exchange. You get to bring your ashes. You get to bring your brokenness. And it's the exchange that has transformed human history. It's the exchange that is the pivotal piece of human history that changes everything. And we come before God, and just like Barabbas, we look out, our chains fall off. The love in the heart of Jesus creates the way for us to have freedom on earth and eternal life. Amen. I'd like to invite you to stand with me. I'd like to invite John and the team to come on up. And I want this to just be a holy moment tonight. I want to invite you tonight, if you are one, far from God, he's not the king of your life. You haven't surrendered your life to him. You're far from God. I want to invite you in just a moment to come up here and to kneel before God and say, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to give him my life. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to give him everything. There's some of you that you, you've prayed that prayer before. You've, you've said it before. But you've lived like a slave. You've lived in confusion. And tonight you just want to re-sign up again and go, Jesus, I give you my life again. And I want to say yes to the, to the grace to the eternal life, to what you've, the free gift that you gave, I wanna say yes to salvation. Some of you tonight, it's the first time, some of you it's re-signing up again, but tonight you wanna surrender your life again and go, all right, I wanna make that exchange. I'll bring my ashes, I'll bring my brokenness, you bring your heart, you bring love, and you'll save me, and he looks at you And he takes his big old bowl of love. You got just this little couple, two bites. You just got nothing. And he goes, deal, deal. I want you. I love you. It's not about your performance. It's about your position. You just saying yes to God. And he goes, done, accepted. If that's you tonight, I wanna invite you in all sincerity, just come up here, kneel before God and join me up here up at the front. Just come kneel before Jesus if that's you tonight.